1: Chris
2: Arrington joins us now. Chris, what are we listening to? It's
0: uh, a California earthquake by Rodney Crowell in honor of what the Grizzlies experienced last night in L.A.
2: Where's the appropriate place to begin when thinking about this team? I, I
0: mean, I don't, I, I think what's different today from yesterday is the injury questions around Marcus Morris and Luke Kennard. I, I, you know, I don't, if you, when you look at the 2-9 record, to me, last night is the game I would be least, I would least care about. Sure. You know, I mean, some, some nights you're just, gonna get, you're just not going to have it. You're going to get wiped off the floor. And if you're, you look at the, your, the record to regret where the place you're at, that's not the game I regret. I regret the first game at Portland. I regret home against Miami. I regret home against Utah. Um, there were ones that you could have gotten. Last night, I was not one of them. And so, you know, I, the Marcus Smart injury um, is, is obviously the primary concern right now. Um, new concern, uh, the Canard thing, you know, six minutes and then out. And, you know, Jaron obviously has had, ter- had back-to-back terrible games. There uh, doesn't seem to be any particular reason health-wise for that. It's just he's had a couple of really bad games, and you hope he'll bounce back out of that. So
2: here we are. I think it's it's interesting because obviously – if every game is going to be a referendum, it lends itself to overreactions. I think this is kind of the the base starting point for me. What in your mind? What in your mind are like knee jerk reactions versus what are actual concerns about this team?
0: Well, I mean, the concern is that they they've lost, you know. Uh, three, uh, they played so the whole season so far without three of their top six or seven players, and only one of those is coming back. And I think, you know, they've had other injuries along the way too. I think the back half of the roster has been exposed a little bit in terms of its lack of scoring punch, its lack of pop. I, I think the fact that so much of the injury stuff has been targeted to the same two areas, which is basically your, your, fr- your size and your shot creation, um, has been pretty crippling. I think sort of like I said yesterday, the bigger picture for the Grizzlies now is just the fe- figuring out. There's one of three things that's going to happen. Either it's going to get back on track at some point this season before it's too late, and you're and you find yourself with a with a a good team, if not a good record, but in the, still in the playoff mix or postseason mix. And if that doesn't happen, the question is going to be, okay, is this a gap year where we just you know we come back with you know the guys who were injured are now healthy and we're only making minor changes around it, but then we'll go right back to where we thought we were going to be if everyone had been healthy. Or is it going to be a more profound, like our core is in place, but we have to reshuffle everything else. And I think all of that still, all all three of those paths are still on the table. I think the first path, you know, as as every loss mounts, becomes less and less likely.
2: I think it's interesting when you think about the injuries because obviously – it, you know, we saw this last year. When the Grizzlies lost Steven Adams and they lost Brandon Clark, playoff success was going to be limited, particularly when you looked at the matchup. I think the problem that I'm having right now with using it as, I don't know, the reason, it, some you know, some people define it as a reason, others would define it as an excuse. Well, you knew you weren't going to have Brandon Clark. And I would make the argument, based on everything that you read around the league, if you didn't know that it was possible that you weren't going to have Stephen Adams, you should have known. And so then you're left with, well, then you also knew that you were not going to have John ja Morant. Like at a certain point, like I, I do wonder if if should they have addressed these concerns, or is that somewhat of a panic move? I guess is, is kind of is the question that I that I struggle with.
0: Um, yeah, it depends on the move, right? I, I, I mean, I, I would. You know, I I would have rather they used I don't know how much of a difference this would have made. I would rather they've used their mid level exception on a player who could really help them. Instead, they didn't use it at all, at least initially. They actually used it on Bombo. But they didn't they used you know, they filled up that last roster spot with Derrick Rose, which I think they had reasons for that. Um they used a roster spot on Kenneth Lofton Junior. And so those are two roster spots that aren't really helping you that you could have gone another way with. I I I think you know, I, I want to, I, am I, 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 sorry. I, we sort of do this every day. I, I think the situation sort of is what it is. Sure. And the core, the core sort of, the, the core sort of basis for the team is Ja Morant, Desmond Bain, and Sharon Jackson. I think that remains a sound core as long as Ja gets back on track. Um there's nothing to do in a retrospective sense to change where they are right now. It's just going to be a matter of getting job back, getting those three players together and assessing your team around them. And, you know, there's nothing to do right now every day, but just like, you know, do the best you have with what you have and and try try, try to get kind of get enough wins along the way to not fall completely out of the mix.
2: I suppose we won't know the answer to this until we see it. But one common narrative that, that I've at least noticed is it feels like there's this concept that there's going to be an antidote coming, and that's John ja Morant. And I'm also not ignoring, like, yes, John Morant makes a lot of this a whole lot easier. Desmond Bain is not going to get the amount of attention that he's going to get. It's going to certainly help the offense and help guys get, you know, easier, easier baskets. I guess where I struggle, though, is I'm just not convinced that all of a sudden just the addition of Ja and all of a sudden we're talking about a team that over the course of whatever that 57 games would be, you know, have the best record over that 57 games or up there. And it, it feels to me like there's this common sentiment that that's indeed the case. Am I misguided in that? I have no idea what the common
0: – I mean, you know, I mean, sure. every, everyone, everyone says – different people say different things, and I don't know how you gauge what a common sentiment is. I, I would say that I, I definitely think a, a healthy, you know, a real John Morant, healthy John Morant, all-NBA-level John Morant, which is what he is, that would make an enormous impact on this team. Is that enough to completely turn the thing around and get you back on what – you know, wherever you wanted to be this season? Probably not, but, like, it's not – to me, it's not like a pass-fail, like either, either everything is fixed or like, I don't know, we like shut down the season and stop playing games. Right. It's about the larger enterprise of getting the larger enterprise back on track. And the first step to that is getting John Morant back and getting John Morant back on track, and then you go from there. And go from there is not just about this season. Go from there is about beyond this season. Um, and so I, I just think i i think i am more focused on getting the larger enterprise back on track and figuring out what to do for the good of the larger enterprise more than i am and along the way you're trying to get back into the mix this season but to me it's not like life or death hinges on like whether you're the whether you make the 10 seed this year i just don't think that's the situation they're in they they have a longer window than that but they have got to get the larger enterprise back on track and evaluate what they need to do with that.
2: Where would beyond the addition of John Morant, where does the evaluation of of getting it back on track like where where would you start?
0: Well, you got a lot of decisions to make around that, and some of those re- relate to players playing for you, and some of them don't. Uh, you know, Steven Adams and Brandon Clark are both under contract next season you have to make some internal valuations of how, how confident you are they're going to be back to what they were before going into next season. Um, uh, Xavier Tillman's going to be free agent this summer. Are you really going to resign him? That's a decision that, that needs to be made. Tanti um, Obama and Zaire Williams for early contract extensions um, this coming summer. Certainly based on what I've seen, I'm not, I'm not feeling great about giving a ex- contract extension to Zaire Williams. Um, I would be happy to lock up Aldama on a good price, but then you got the situation of all the other players in the front court you have locked up. You know, evaluate the market smart move. And I think you can't really fully evaluate that until you get job back and you see him right in that, yes. in that situation. But he's got two years after this. So you have to decide, okay, is this going to work the way we wanted it to work? Even if it's not this year, is it next year? And you sort of go up and down the roster. I, I think, you know, we sort of used the Dallas example of Jeff yesterday of. You know that team was in the in, was in the the Western Conference Finals two years ago, and the team that's good this year is basically almost an entire new team around one player, Luka Doncic. So, are, are you how much are you doing that, and how much are you are you just sort of tweaking around the edges? And that's what I think you have to sort of evaluate over the course of the year.
2: Do they have the the ammunition, the the assets to shake it up? Because like, that that's kind of the other thing I was struggling with. It's like okay. I don't know how attractive any of the young pieces are to other teams. The, the contracts like I guess if you're if you're trading for you know if you're trading for Stephen Adams or or Brandon Clark but how many teams out there are going to trade for injured players? I mean I, I suppose it's entirely possible you have
0: I think I think what people need to realize is that the even the very boldest move that Grizzlies could potentially make is going to be about your fourth best player. Yeah the core of this team is John Brandes Suzanne, and Jared Jackson, and they are still in the, in the standpoint, even if this becomes a gap year and it goes off the tracks and you got to come back next year, they're still in the place of how far can we go with those, as, those as our three best players. And you, and you ride that track until, until, until you run out of a, a room with it. And they're not close to that yet, assuming John ja comes back. So even like the biggest move you could, you could think of to make, it's like, the move they just made this summer trading for Marcus Smart. It's that. You're not trading for a quote-unquote star. And so do they have the ammunition, if they wanted to, to pull together some contracts and some draft picks and go get someone who would be maybe worse than Jaron but better than Marcus Smart? You know, I I, I do think that's possible. But that's the kind of – that at the highest end is the kind of move you're talking about.
1: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/slash/recommend
2: today. Along the lines of Santi, I thought he had a. I thought his stat line was better than how he played, but I'm not going to use last. Like last night was. I, I'm with you. Like it was what it was. The bigger concern that I have with Santi is, I does he have like does he have a clear fit, other than best player on the bench I, I think that's kind of where I, I struggle because it's like you can see where he's useful but at the same time it's like I it it seems like that it's been difficult to to match it up to maximize his use I, I think that's kind of where I've struggled
0: well th- th- that's where that's where the, that's where this no matter what happens this can't be a loss season. It can be a lost season in terms of the postseason, in terms of getting into the postseason, in terms of where you want to be. In terms of the competitive lost, enterprise, yeah. yeah, It can't be a lost season in terms of your, your multi-year situation. Um, and so once you get Ja back and you have you know Ja in place, you're looking and that's sort of the top of your pyramid. Now you figure out where things fit around that. One of the things they need to do is play a lot of Santi and Jaron together with Ja at point guard and see what that looks like. I and mean, that's sort of part of the evaluation you have to make. I, I think I, if I have to make a contract decision, you don't have to, but you, it's the first opening to make a contract decision on Santi this summer. I want a lot of reps of him and Jaron playing together and to see what that looks like. I want a lot of reps of him and Jaron playing with a functional backcourt and see what that looks like. Do I think Santi's a long-term starter on this team? I don't. Um, do I think he tops out as your third big or sixth or seventh man? Yeah, I think probably so. But like
2: He might be pretty good in that role. Yeah, I mean, and like that's that's, I guess that's kind of where I struggled. I think the other thing that that fascinates me, I can remember, the thunder, the thunder during the Durant Westbrook era. Didn't they have a year where they had a year where Durant got hurt? I think it was the year right before they went back to the Western Conference Finals. They had a year where Durant got hurt, and it was kind of a lost year. But they kept kind of being competitive. I know we're using the example of Dallas and so far it looks like it's working, but you know, it's still T B D. Is it a normal thing where you see a team just kind of have the quote unquote gap year and then get it right back on track? Like is is this a is this something you can be hopeful for?
0: Oh, I I don't have an answer to that at my fingertips. So I I'd have to go back and look and try to
2: find comps. Um I mean, I know the, point, heat, the, the Heat thund- have always had years where, you know, like there's there's years yeah, where, the, yeah.
0: The Thunder The had a year they missed the playoffs in the middle of that run. Now, they went 45 and 37 and missed the playoffs, but they missed the playoffs. Yeah. So they went to the conference finals, and then they missed the playoffs completely, and then they went back to the conference finals the next year. So there is an example of that with Oklahoma City. Um, I think at some level, like, you, there could be comps or not be comps, but your situation is it's singular. It is what it is. And part of this is that, the Grizzlies sort of got were ahead of schedule a little bit in terms of regular season success the past two years. Like a, a team that young, and the Thunder is one of the one of the the, the um, exceptions of that that Thunder team. But generally, teams that young don't finish second in the conference. Yeah. And so there aren't that many teams who sort of hit a bump like this and they still have what might be three top fifty players all under contract, all under twenty five years old. You know, and it's just it's an unusual situation. But that's the situation there is.
2: I guess the other question that I've had, it's one thing to intellectually know. All right, they're gonna be without John ja Morant. And there were there were plenty of analysts, you know, pontificators saying this summer, like that's that's a significant suspension and that's going to, you know, al- that's gonna make the Grizzlies underachieve according to the win total expectations, whatnot. I think though the thing that has been interesting to me. It's like, I did not expect this to be smooth sailing, but it has gone worse than I expected. Do you feel that way or should I have, should I have had different, because in the end that becomes a question of expectations. Should we have seen this coming?
0: No, they they, they shouldn't, even with all their problems, they shouldn't be two and nine. Maybe they should be four and seven. You know, they have, they have, they have let. I mean, they let the game at Portland slip away. The first one, they 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 should have dug out some of these other wins. So so the misfortune that they have had has has, has forced them to be a bad team. Like it's like they haven't had a choice but to be a bad team. But but two and nine is like going above and beyond, kind of like you know point differential wise. The Spurs point differential is twice as bad as the Grizzlies, and they're ahead of them in the standings um I, I, I think I think this team has underperformed its talent has forced them to be a bad team and they 've underperformed that just with not being able to close out some of these games
2: and i think I think maybe that 's the key question right it 's what is the appropriate reaction to how it 's gone right because at a certain point it is a small sample size and you don 't want to overreact yet at the same time you don 't want to ignore the there are red flags, right? Is that is that the appropriate way to think about it?
0: Well, yeah, but are we talking about, like, how fans react or how, like, the franchise reacts? I think I just, how I just, the I franchise know, reacts. Yeah, and so from that standpoint, I don't understand, like, what people... If people want to say, it's time to give up on the season if you're the franchise. It's time to... Okay, well, okay, so what do you do differently than you were doing yesterday? I, you know, I just don't yeah. know what they're supposed to be doing other than what they are doing um, which is like just trying to do the best they have with the players that they have. I, you know, that might, that will change over the course of the season as trade deadline comes up and you have other, other thing, markers along the way, you have decision to make when Ja comes back and trade restrictions left. And there's all these questions, but like right now today, I don't really understand what they're supposed to be doing. that's different from what they're doing other than trying to do it better.
2: I guess the question then for me is, do you think that, do you think that the way that it's gone has caught the the decision makers by surprise?
0: Oh, I certainly don't think they expected to be two and nine, but I I, I don't think like I, I don't know I don't know what their internal projections were. Yeah, I would guess their internal projections were not that they were going to win the West. Like I you know John Hollinger's math spit that out before the Adams injury. Kevin Pelton's math spit that out. I'd be willing to bet the Grizzlies' internal math did not spit that out. Yeah. I, and so I, I, I think that – I don't think – again, I'm sort of guessing here. Yeah. So this is sort of educated guesswork. I don't think they had a conviction that this is our year. I, I think I think they probably would have guessed that that our best shot is maybe it's next year, maybe it's the year after, but it's not this year, given the jaw injury stuff. And given, frankly, with the Adam stuff – and I, I'll go back. This is not hindsight because I wrote this – when I wrote my my season preview, predicting like records and stuff for all thirty teams, I had the Grizzlies fourth. And one of the things I wrote, which was too high then, obviously, but one of the things I wrote was that there I have as many injury in, in and not, not just injury, I have as many availability questions about the Grizzlies as I do with the Suns and yeah. and a lot of these other teams. And I specifically mentioned I don't know how many games Adams is going to play. Well, I didn't think that number was going to be zero. But based on the preseason, like I just assumed he wasn't going to play back to backs, yeah, you know, I, I for sure. So I was just, I was already assuming like he's going to be playing twenty four minutes a game and playing like sixty games or something, and so I, I don't think this was set up to be the Grizzlies' year. Now it was not necessarily set up to go as poorly as it has so far but i don't I didn't think this was their year, and I don't think I would guess they didn't think this was their year either now did they think they were going to be two in line No did they think they were going to be without Stephen Adams? I can pretty much guarantee you they did not but but they there was they, they knew there were limits on what he was going to provide
2: I guess that's kind of the other question I have should they have known that that was a reality because it seems like it, it it and again you get a lot of the a whole, you get that's a, lot a of, that's yeah. a
0: hard that's a really hard thing to pick apart i you know what? What is the what is the nature of the communication between a team and a player over the course of an offseason, season dealing yep. with injury stuff? Like I don't know. I, is it is it Zach Kleiman on the phone with Stephen Adams? Is it Zach Kleiman on the phone with Stephen Adams' agent? Is it someone else in the Grizzlies organization on the phone with with the player's agent? Is I I know my sense is that there was a bit of a disconnect on expectations that. Steven Adams was in New Zealand or wherever he was, and doing rehab and going through work, and they had the sense that okay, things are going well. Like he he's he's back on track, and even when you got into camp, like Taylor Jenkins even said like good to go. I think he used that phrase one day early in camp. So I think the Grizzlies got an impression that they that Stephen Adams is back on track to play the season, and I think they were kind of blindsided by it. it, it, it it ended up needing to have surgery. And so whether they should or should not have had that assessment, I mean, that's a hard thing to pick apart. But I do think that 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 sort of took them by surprise. I'll go back to, like, the the first Monday after that came out. Like, I was on the show, and Jeff said – it came out on Sunday, and I was on the show Monday, and Jeff said, when do you think the Grizzlies knew that was going to happen? And I said, probably two days ago. Yeah. You know, I do do think it was that.
2: No, I mean, I I think you can – I – Tend to believe the players when they're like, we found out when y- when y'all did. But the other thing I kept thinking about on media day is team. I think Kleiman and Jenkins both were like good to go, and then I think back to Steven Adams' so, so, answer. Kleiman,
0: Kleiman didn't quite say that. Kleiman didn't
2: quite say that. But, yeah. but there was a disconnect between what Kleiman said and what Adams said. Right? Because like when like when I listened to Adams' answers, I was like, well, like it wasn't it wasn't like alarming, but to me it was like. Uh, they were different uh, the answers. Was notable.
0: Yes. The difference was notable and it was noted. Yes. Yeah.
2: Chris, we really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. Thanks. That is Chris Harrington of... We get it.
1: Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof?